just past 7 o'clock, and it's going to be a good one tonight. Ira, back in the studio. And we've got kind of an interesting <laughs> circumstance happening right now, Ira. So typically there's not much uh, great live sports going on while we do our show. We usually lead up to Monday Night Football, but we're in the playoff of the Northern Trust. We've got it up, and this is exciting. Well, it's the Northern Trust, which is, people say, what is this? This is the FedEx uh, playoffs. So yeah. the point is the uh, there's this, then BMW next week with the top 70 after this tournament, and then the uh, tour championships in Atlanta. But we have Tony Finau and Cameron Smith tying up in a playoff hole at 18. Been watching this all day. John Rahm since Thursday. Now, this is Monday, Thursday, where they didn't play mm-hmm. yesterday. That was, was leading this tournament, and uh, he had a bogey on 16 or bogey on 15. And then, uh, and then a par on 16, par on 17, bogeyed 18. Yeah. But he's out. He's not. He's not in the playoff. And it's Finau who took the lead. And he in the between 12 and 16, he had an eagle and three birdies to take the lead. And Cameron Smith though birdied 16, 17, and par 18 to tie him at 20 under. So that's why they're in the playoff and not John Rahm, which is a a big surprise. Now Tony Finau hasn't won in. 1975 days he's only won one other <laughs> yeah. tournament for someone who's been a, a stalwart top 20 golfer yeah. for it seems like that the last wasn't spot. a playoff that he won though he's won for three yeah, lifetime at the, at in the playoffs. Puerto Rican at the Puerto Rican yeah. Open so um that was this is and for Cameron Smith who's has won three tournaments now in the in a playoff record I just saw a Tony Finau's record is one and three yeah. in the playoffs Cameron Smith is three and oh uh but Cameron Smith on Saturday was just, I mean, around for the ages. I mean, at a tournament like this, oh, Cameron Smith just teed off, and it's looking like it's going way right, and that does not look good. So, yeah, Fino, it does look like he hit the uh, fairway there, too. Yeah, so. now, when you, when you pick into, he's now picking a second ball. So he's, he's, oh, he's, he's going to hit it again. But, uh, um, but uh, that's, not, that's not good for Cameron Smith. But Cameron Smith on Saturday shot a 60. And it was sub. It was a round that even when he got off, it says it should have been fifty-seven. Mm-hmm. So that's how good he played on Saturday, um, and to be able to get himself into the mix. But now he's in trouble. He's actually hitting his second ball uh, for the from the tee. So I think he's going to be. It's a provisional. Yeah, not not a good uh, sign when you're hitting provisionals to start off the tiebreaker. So Ira, this was kind of a slow week for you. You get getting back here, and there wasn't really much going on for you to take in anyway. I could have done some baseball, but it was like, and I could have done this. I could have watched Northern yeah. Trust, but I uh, I just wanted to come back to Florida. We got so much football coming up for the next few weeks. This is going to be crazy, and I got the U.S. Open. So I got football. They got the U.S. Open. Need to need to recharge the batteries a little for this. And it looks like uh, Cam Smith's going to be right again. This one in the sand does stay up, but not looking good uh, early here on the 18th hole, giving Tony Finau the big advantage as he hit the fairway first. So, Ira, we got a great, great interview. This is pre-recorded, so we already know the content, but he was phenomenal. We had the USF Bulls head football coach Jeff Scott on. This was one of the best insights I've seen to a college season preview, maybe ever. And this is going to be a great interview at 730. Yeah, I think what people have to realize about Jeff Scott is that last year, and this is one thing, we're going to do some college football preview, that, uh, talk about some of the teams. I think what people don't realize is that I think last year, a coach like Coach Scott who, and Mike Norvell at Florida State, too, they were hired as a coach. They had no preseason. They had no yeah. weight. They had nothing. It was COVID. And then they come on and he had, he had a bad year. He was uh, two, uh, two and eight last year. It was a t- terrible season. Wasn't good at all. But they lost three games by like three points. Then the end of the game last season, Central Florida, they scored 35. But Jeff Scott was 
the right-hand man of Dabo Swinney at Clemson mm -hmm. for 12 years. He was the co-offensive coordinator. He was the head recruiter. He won the Frank Burroughs Award. He was the assistant. He's someone who people thought was going to major, major programs. The fact that he chose South Florida was very interesting, and the fact that he could have really gone anywhere. He could have gone to a Power 5 school. He liked South Florida. He liked the Tampa. He thought there was a lot of potential there, uh, and, and they paid him a lot of money, too, to go there. So yeah. that was the point. He's from Arcadia, Florida, so he's from the Tampa general area. So I, I don't blame him wanting to come home, coach these guys. And I do give a pass to a lot of people. I think, you know, I think Tua got a bad rap for last season. Rookie, no training camp. Same thing as a rookie coach going in and not getting the, all those reps that someone like Nick Saban's had for almost two decades with his players. Yeah, so I'm, I was excited we got, we got him on the show. He's someone who, I mean, if you look at the recruits they brought in, they're picked to finish last in, 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 in this year in the American, which I think is, is ridiculous. I mean, I think that they really have a team that, that should do very well. Uh, and, and the idea is that, yeah, I think in all these predictions we're going to talk about, how players did last year. Based upon this year, I think you're going to see me. If you're looking to bet that first week of football, that's where the money is. When you look at these teams like, oh, they were terrible last year. I don't care what they were last year. Yeah, it doesn't really matter. doesn't matter. Some Look, Alabama was great last year, and they're going to be great this year. Clemson was great last year. They're going to be great this year. But some of these other teams that just the wheels fell off the entire team with a new coach, that's what I'd be looking for. Now, I'll give you an example. Penn State last year had a bad year, up and down. I mean, they were really down, and then they won the last few. With Franklin, I'm a little cons more concerned about Penn State because they had the program in place. They played poorly. But for someone with a new coach, I I'm giving it a total pass because they really were just thrown into the mix. No, I agree wholeheartedly. We'll talk to Jeff Scott about 25 minutes at 730 here on Ira on Sports. So let's talk about the uh, the golf here. And, you know, you, you brought up predictions and things like that. You said on this show maybe like three months ago, there's certain golf tournaments where you just know certain guys are going to play good. John Rahm was one of the people on your list. And once again, we see Rahm right there at the end. If he doesn't bogey 18, he's in this playoff as well. Yeah, I mean, it was he was cruising this entire tournament. And uh, I just think, again, he just misplayed. He bogeyed 15. And then he then just a par on 16 and a par on 17. I mean, he should have – actually, he should have ran away with this. Uh, it started the day with Van Norn, uh, uh, but Van Norn was – was well, they put him on the clock. It seems like whenever they put a golfer on a clock, he then has a quadruple <laughs> a quadruple bogey. But some of the other – what's interesting – this is a weird tournament. You're trying to watch so many things because you're trying to see – there were six golfers who qualified who were in not in the next week's tournament. They take the top 70, who because of they jumped into the top 70 were able to make it, but that means six other guys got out. And uh, the one player, Mickelson, Phil Mickelson, uh, was the, is the last person in. So you're like, if you're doing the, the NCAA and who's the last mm -hmm. one, he's the last in was Mc, Phil Mickelson. And he, he, was a, he, with, he was the 70th player. Uh, Matthew Wolf is 71. So Matthew Wolf uh, fell Stinks. out from missed the cut, fell from fifty nine to seventy one. Um, uh, Terrell Hatton, another good golfer, went from sixty third to seventy four. Matthew Fitzpatrick went from sixty to seventy three. Uh, someone who made a major move was Keith Mitchell. Keith Mitchell uh, ended up was like was in a hundred, uh, was one hundred one, and got to sixty fourth. Uh, so he he played really well. He's, he had he finished eighth. Uh, Justin Thomas finished his tournament fourth. Uh, Bryson DeChambeau, 31st. Uh, Rory uh, was 43rd, 7-under. Uh, one interesting, Victor Hovland shot a 68, 67, 65. But on, he, then he had an 8 on the par 4, 5th. And then on the 7th, and then he had a 7 on the par 5th, 8th, and he broke his putter. Now, if you're going to break your putter, break your putter maybe on like the 17th or 18th <laughs> hole. So then he had to play 10 holes with, the, with his driver he was using to punt it. So you don't break it. Uh, Jordan Spieth. 
shot well, 72, a 62, and a 72, and then shot a 79 today. So really fell back and was, I think, 73rd. But Dustin Johnson has missed the cut. He just, I mean, it's really not been the Doesn't year. Look right. No, it's just, I mean, remember last year at the PJ, you know, he won the, the FedEx playoffs, was number, was, had the, he won this tournament by like 20 shots. It seemed like <laughs> it was like, what, 30 under, and it was 10 strokes ahead. Um, Adam Scott misses the cut. Colin Morikawa misses the cut. Of course, Matthew Wolf does it. And, and Patrick Reed, uh, they said he hurt his foot, but then he's in the hospital, not for COVID, but for a no, monomia, pneumonia. 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 <laughs> so I mispronounce it all the time. And so he's going to be in the hospital, and that's the question of whether he can play next week and whether he's even going to play for the Ryder Cup. Well, who would be his Ryder Cup replacement? Well, the American Ryder Cup, Morikawa, Dustin Johnson, Bryson, Brooks, Justin Thomas, Xander Shoffley, they're sixth. Spieth would be, then that's six automatically by points. And then the captain's picks by um, Scott Stricker is uh, six. Boy, Cameron Smith just did a great shot into 18. But Spieth, oh, that was Fina who shot that. But Spieth um, would probably be one of this one of the ones picked. And then you would assume that Fina clearly would be one of the picks. Uh, and Patrick Reed would be one of the picks. And then I just, I think it's a no-brainer about Phil Mickelson. People said, well, he's 19th. Phil said, well, if I'm not playing well, I should be in. He won a major this year. He's Phil Mickelson. He's played in the best ball and the and alternate shot. And would you want him on a match play? Of course. I yeah. mean, who? why is it even an issue that Phil Mickelson, Phil Mickelson has got to be in the Ryder Cup? Like, it's ridiculous. I mean, if he was like 80th in the world, no. He's 19th in the world. He's 19th in the, in the rankings. And he... Uh, He's 19th in the in the rankings, and he's been played. You know how many Ryder Cups has he been in, and Presidents Cups? You got to put him in. It's not even a question. I agree with you there, and even just the way he plays with young guys should be worth it alone. The experience factor and the way having him on your team in in a doubles event is a natural advantage because he's such a, a smart and cerebral golfer. He's going to elevate a young guy who might be a little bit timid in that situation. And you see him in all these weird tournaments, you know, where he's playing with, with uh, um, Aaron Rodgers and yeah. Tom Brady and all this. He, he, know, he loves this type. I mean, that's what this – if this was a, uh, a, a typical four-round golf tournament – Look, maybe Mickelson shouldn't be in there. But he did win a major this yeah. year. I just don't understand how. Like, I'm listening to the golf channel, and they're like, oh, well, if he you know, he missed the cut and he, this and this, and maybe he shouldn't get in. And I'm like, I think it's just a complete no-brainer that you put Phil Mickelson in as one of the captain's picks. I would be shocked if he's not one of the picks to go in there. It's Iron Sports, True Oldies oh, look, Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Go ahead, I. Tony Finau needs, how about this, three putts to win. Yeah. You, you like those type of things. Yeah. You need three, three, three putts to win and you're 20 feet out. So. I, I could mess that up, Ira, believe it or not. But, yeah, no, I think something on. tells me Finau is going to be three able to. Three putts to win. <laughs> this is a great win for Tony. This is great. And I just, again, I was listening to the, the golf channel. They're like, well, Finau might need a win in this tournament for, to, to get in. I'm like, how would he not? I mean, you've got to pick him. He's one of the top golfers in the world. And uh, over, over like, um, even Webb Simpson or Patrick Cantlay, I mean, I just think Tony Finau is a no-brainer to Kind of like, you know, in the situation of Shoffley or Cantlay up until this year where they couldn't really close, but always top 10, top 20 in the tournament. And that's Tony Finau. He's a model of seconds, thirds, fourth places. Puts this one uh, really close. He's going to have about a tap in here. Yeah, in the majors and playing well in the majors. And we were talking about it in Wisconsin in, the, in a difficult tournament, a difficult environment. And they're saying, well, how, we have to know if Finau can make the putts when he needs it. I mean, of course, he's making enough putts. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's just one loss from golf tournaments. But so this is actually now he won. So there it is. Yeah. So Tony Finau is your Northern Trust champion. Good for him. I mean, you, you want to be excited for Cam Smith, but 
kind of let this one go. He had that double bogey, I believe, on four today or yes. five. And, you know, we saw it last week where one double bogey from Webb Simpson on a Saturday cost him the tournament. And that's, uh, that's, how, it, that's how it's going to end. Tony Finau gets his second uh, win on the PGA Tour. And next week, the BMW Championship, only the top 70 now. There'll be 70 golfers yeah. at a no-cut will be there. And then they have the top 30 advance to the Tour Championships. And then the Tour Championships the following week, that's the weird where they start staggered, you know, where, where some of the leaders going to have a two-shot lead over the second place uh, and after that. So Let's uh, move on to baseball here, Ira. And it's uh, been an up-and-down couple of weeks here for a few teams. And the Braves have really been surging while the Mets fall off in that NL East. Well, you know, I think it was uh, what, two, about two, three weeks ago. The Mets were up, it seemed like, five games. And now they're down seven. Mm -hmm. And that happens. They just keep losing, losing, and losing. And the uh, Braves keep winning and winning, winning. The Braves won nine nine games in a row. Um, They lead the Phils by five. But, of course, when you win nine and you play Washington, and we talked about this, after the trade deadline, some teams just said, we're going to have minor league baseball teams. We're going to play our double-A and triple-A teams, Washington, Miami, and Baltimore. So... (laughs) So Philly got lucky. They're playing Washington, Miami, Baltimore, whereas the Dodge, where the Mets were playing yeah. the Dodgers and the Giants for all their games, and that's what happens. And now, well, the Braves have, it's going to get exciting for them. They played tonight against the Yankees, two games. Then they play San Francisco for three and the Dodgers for three. So we're going to see how good the Braves are when they play those next eight games, which are going to be really, really difficult. But you would think that the Braves are super hot. It's so funny. We talked all year about, wow, where are the Braves? Why are the Braves? Where are the Yankees? Where are the Dodgers? And now these teams are the three hottest teams in baseball. No, absolutely. Um, it, it's funny looking at them, too, because you look at them on paper, and it's like, man, this team is really good. And then there's a team in the Central in the Milwaukee Brewers who you look at them on paper, and you don't really know a lot of these guys. I mean, they just got Willie Adamas from Tampa Bay. Their star pitcher is Brandon Woodruff, who's not a big name. This team's really, really good, and I think that they're they're getting slept on way too much for a, a serious title contender. Well, they're, they're in the playoffs. I saw them. I remember I was in Milwaukee. Yeah. And, and that— I'll tell you one thing, home field advantage, that stadium, they call it what, the great family or family entertainment yeah. call park, whatever, it keeps changing. It used to be called Miller Park, which is a lot easy, but that's loud. Their fans are loud. The stadium's, it's just a great home field advantage. But yeah, they've been leading, it seems like almost the entire year by the seven, eight games. I think the big surprise in the Central, you would expect the Cardinals, who are playing Wainwright, is pitching great. For some, he's had a shutout in another good, good, another, another good uh, game this past week. But uh, the Reds have come on. And yeah. now the Reds are in a position where, because the Padres are playing awful, the Reds might get that second wild card, which is a shock. And the Reds are a team a lot of people were high on going into this year. Keep an eye on Jonathan India. He won the uh, NL Rookie of the Month last month. Guy's been phenomenal. He was a fifth overall draft pick two years ago. Him, Tyler Naquin, Nick Castellanos. They're doing it with not really huge names, but they pitch well. They do a little bit of everything well. I'm a big fan of the Reds, and if they do make it into the playoffs, it's just a team I don't want to see. Both teams from the NL Central, uh, if, if they both make it, could force a trouble for the uh, for the NL West. But it, it's rough. I mean, the Dodgers go 9-1 and one over their last 10 games. And San Francisco doesn't let up. They're still 7-3, and three and, and they just can't seem to catch up to them. It's amazing. And the Dodgers. But I think, look, you just made a great point. Because what's going to happen is, this is what I predict is going to happen. San Francisco is going to lose the division by a couple games. You think so? And then they play the Reds in the first game. So they're going to have this amazing record. They're going to have by far the second best record in baseball. And the, to the Dodgers, who have the best record. And then they're going to play the Reds in a one-game wild-card playoff and lose. 
<laughs> with the second best record in baseball. Which, so I feel bad for that. But, but I, I think the Dodgers eventually, they, uh, uh, Mookie Betts is coming back. Everyone thought with his, Maybe problem, Thursday. Yeah. With his hip. I mean, when you heard that he had his hip problem, he had bone spurs on his hips, you're like, he's out for the rest of the year. And now he's back. And I think it's just they're rolling. Scherzer is, again, we talked about this last week. Do you realize that Trey Turner is leading baseball and hitting with his like a 319 batting average, yeah. but that's still leading. But the point is, is that you've like Scherzer and Turner and Betts, these are new players and well, Betts, you know, Betts, whatever last year. But the point is that, that when they bring Scherzer and Turner in, it's not like, oh, we're bringing players in. They really need to win a title. They won a title two years ago. All their players that they bring in have won titles. Like everyone there. It's just this, the Dodgers are amazing. And I, I look, the Giants are tremendous. The Giants with this come from mind win. They're pitching their bullpen. Just, it seems like every game. And they're able to, you know, you see they're, they're trailing 3-2. And then suddenly they hit a home run by someone. But anybody, everybody on the team seems to hit a key home run in the seventh or eighth or ninth innings. So Dodgers have won nine of their last ten. Yankees have won nine of their last nine, Ira. And I got to tell you, I can't remember a, a time when it's been this fun to be a Yankee fan. I'm sure a lot of people you know in New York are just going nuts that this team is playing. And they're still four and a half back on the Rays, but I'm not going to be surprised if they catch them. Well, Tampa's good, too. I mean, this is one of those things. Uh, since the Field of Dreams game, like was a week last week, They've won two over the White Sox. They beat the Angels in three, and then they they beat, they beat one game in the Angels. Then they took three, swept the Boston, and won four from the Twins. So they've been in a roll. But again, this is why the Yanks in Atlanta this week, great, two hot, yeah. super hot teams playing tonight and tomorrow. And then the Yankees are at Oakland for four games. So that's going to be, and they always have trouble, all those games, they, they have trouble out there in Oakland. So it's, it's weird. The Yankees in Tampa, I look on the schedule, they don't play to the last three games of the year. You could really that's see exciting. how they, they, it could be like well, one game separating the teams or they could be tied going into the final series of the year. What would be just great to have at the end of the year to have that. But of course, we're watching football and then with the baseball. That's why I think almost baseball should end. I forget how they end, but I, I, would, I think they should end like in the middle of the week. Not, like their last game of the baseball season should not be uh, a in Sunday. The, on yeah. a Sunday in the middle of football. It should be a, another yeah, during, Wednesday night. A Tuesday or Wednesday when there's no other, uh, like during football season, there's no no games on Tuesday, Wednesday, even a Thursday. You know, put do, do something Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, or even, you know, Friday. Going to the Central, this one, it's the worst division in baseball, and Chicago's running away with it. But it was exciting that Miguel Cabrera got his 500th home run. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer. There's just no doubt about it. And he's, I think, about 100 hits away from 3,000. I'm really, I've always been a big Miggy fan, and I'm pulling for him to get the 3,000. 45 hits. 45, that's it. Okay. 45 yeah. hits away from, from 3,000. Uh, I think the one thing we talk about him, we saw him with the Marlins, and he was one of the first five years, superstar player. He goes to the Tigers, and he had 446 home runs at the end of the 2016 season. So he's 33 years old with 446 home runs. People said he's a lock of 700 yeah. home runs almost, and he has just not hit 16 in a more. And the worst thing is then he signs an eight-year, $240 million contract <laughs> in 2016. So now he's like one of the worst contracts in the history of baseball. So here's one of the greatest players we, we've seen over a, a period of time, but then he just suddenly falls off a cliff in 2016. That's, that's the concern that you give someone in their – Mid thirties, these eight year, nine year contracts because you're you're playing late in their thirties, they're not going to play so well. The precipitous fall reminds me of Felix Hernandez, kind of the same thing where he's just like this guy might shatter every modern pitching record to all of a sudden just can't stay healthy and he's he's a shell of himself. But uh, Miguel Cabrera, to me, maybe the best baseball player. Him and Pujols for my childhood. I didn't think I'd ever see a triple crown. 
you know, and he pulled that off. In 2012, won the yeah. MVP over Trout, and then won the, two, the MVP again in 2013 over Trout, too. Yeah, no, he's phenomenal, and uh, we're rooting for him. I hope he got, I mean, he's going to get those hits, you know, over the next two seasons. So really exciting stuff for him. Going out to the West, Ira, I'm still giving Oakland a little bit of a shot here, but Houston has really surprised me. They got the best um, plus-minus differential in the AL. Right. I mean, Houston's hanging on three and a half over the A's. And I guess, I mean, that's the, that's the point is the Oakland, like what's going to happen with, you know, if the Yankees don't catch the Rays, you could actually have a wild card between, because it's really, but the, there's, it's, you're talking about three teams for two spots, the Yankees, Red Sox and A's then for the wild card spot. And could you imagine Yankees and Red Sox one game? I mean, that's a Bucky <laughs> Dent type game. You know, that, yeah. that's like it. I mean, Yankees and Red Sox one game playoff. And then you just assume the Yankees will start Cole in the game and see what happens. But but that would be difficult. Now, remember what we just said. The Yankees play the Rays the last three games. They're probably going to use their top starters exactly. for that. And then they have to play the one game playoff against the Red Sox if they're in terms of the wild card. Cole could come back. So would you use Cole in that series to win the division? I mean, there's going to be a lot of second-guessing on Aaron Boone and Brian Cashman, and I'm sure that's going to happen. Yeah, you – whichever team has a three-and-a-half run lead is going to feel a lot better than if you don't because <laughs> that it's just – you're going to really stress yourself trying to get there, and then you're going to be, you know, battered when you do get to that that play-in game. Any – if the season ended today, Ira, who are you throwing some awards at? Well, the AL MVP, if it's not unanimous, it's crazy. Otani has 40 home runs, 88 RBIs. He leads – the American League at home, at least at baseball, and 40 home runs. And he has an 8-1 record with a 279 ERA. So, I mean, it's, I think it's that's just, safe, it's, it's, I, it, it, there's You know someone is not going to vote for him. Of like, course. Someone. And that is just ridiculous. Um, the L. Cy Young, I think Eric Cole, 12-6, 269 ERA I, for the Yankees. I, who would you say for the – who would you like? It, it's probably got to be Cole. I mean, I, I, I can't put – there's nobody having a standout season. You know, if you, looking in the NL, I think it's a lot more difficult to judge uh, Cy Young. I don't want to be a homer, but yeah, I'd give it to Cole. And then the National League, I would say for Cy Young, Bueller, um, 13 and 2, 2 and 11 ERA. I mean, DeGrom, everybody talks about, he's only pitched 92 innings. Yeah, he might not pitch the rest him. of the year. You just can't. You, can't, you got to throw more than 100 innings and think you're going to win the Cy Young. And so he, I, he's still, I think, top 10 in war. <laughs> and it only pitched 92 innings. Pretty crazy how that worked out. Brandon Woodruff, as I mentioned earlier, he'd be someone I would consider for it, too, along with Bueller. But Bueller's just been been lights out. I mean, when, and he, could you imagine you're going to have Bueller, and, and he's not going to lead. Urias is going to lead the National League in wins. He'll be your third or fourth, fourth starter yeah. for the Dodgers. And you have Scherzer, and you have a guy like Max Scherzer, and Max Scherzer is not going to start game one yeah. of, like, the World Series. Like, you're not going to use Max Scherzer as a game one starter because you're going to put Bueller as a starter. I mean, it's crazy. And then Kershaw will be your third starter. I mean, that's crazy. That's nuts. Um, let's move on to football here. And this was kind of a crazy week of preseason games. I'm starting to really get into it. I, 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 I don't know if it was just this year because there's so many – enticing rookies to take in but it's been kind of back and forth all over the place what have you been watching oh i watched last night i watched trey lance for san francisco yeah. to see how he jimmy played. didn't look good well yeah and and they asked the question i asked kyle shanahan they go uh, i mean kyle shanahan would play the bill belichick line there it's like um who's the starter and he was just like i'm not answering that question i'm not making that decision mm -hmm. i mean it was tough i mean i thought he would say i mean I think that is an indictment of Jimmy G yeah. that as the person who's the, the, you know, the reigning starter of this team, uh, whereas, whereas uh, Belichick made a statement that Kim Newton is the starter unless someone outplays him. Yeah. So he's Way sort of saying vague. it's like if it's a tie, Kim wins. That's what Belichick's saying. Kyle Shannon's not saying if it's a tie between Jimmy G and Trey Lance. I, it, 
I, I, I really thought that Jimmy G was going to start, but I don't know after that. When I heard Shanahan talk, it was not that clear it's going to be Jimmy G. It's Iron Sports, Truly Channel, just a few minutes away from uh, USF Bulls coach Jeff Scott joining us here at 724. Looking around the league, you know, I'm really big on over-unders. There's a couple of things that I really like. There's a lot of, a lot of teams I wouldn't touch, and especially going to a 17th game, I think it kind of messes up the perception a little bit. Pats at 9.5 over-under. I am a little bit bullish on this one, Iron. A lot of new pieces coming together, and the division should be as good, if not better, than last year. I'm bullish because I think it's going to be an over. I think I think people are sleeping on the pads. I think people realize that, again, with COVID, they were missing so many players last year. I mean, Dante Hightower is just one of, like, uh, Patrick Chung. I mean, they, how many defensive players? Seven or eight defensive players. They spent more money in, in free agency than any other team. They never do that. I think Cam Newton looks much more comfortable with the offense. You have Mac Jones also. Uh, I, I love that. I think they're, I mean, remember, nine and a half. They play 17 games. I could easily see the Pats win 12 games. I, I think the nine and a half is way too low for the Patriots. And, and again, I, part of me feels the Bills at 11 could be even too high. Like, I, think I think it's too low. <laughs> you think it's too low? I think the Patriots win the division. I think the Patriots win the division. I think the Bills finish second. And Dolphins, I, I'm nervous about the Dolphins at nine and a half. Now, Tulip looked great this past week. And, of course, everybody somehow looks great in preseason. But there is a lot to be said that he's much more comfortable after the hip surgery. Maybe he should even played last year. Like, if we just saw Tua not play last year and then he's playing like he is in preseason, you're like, wow, this is great. He's made – so maybe maybe they should – they played him too early last year because now he looks like the Tua at Alabama – since the hip surgery and more comfortable in the offense. So the AFC Central is a little bit baffling to me. The Steelers went 11 and 0 last year and their Vegas line is eight and a half. That just seems a little funny to me. Ira. It doesn't seem funny. It seems like I, I, again, everyone's writing the Steelers off. Ben played two series. I watched the game. So Ben plays two series in the game this past week against the lions. Now, first of all, the lions are terrible. They might not win a game, but <laughs> Ben, first of all, he looks skinny yeah, he he lost also, he, and his arm looked it was a rocket. He was throwing rockets, and Pat Fryermuth, the tight end for Penn State, was caught two touchdown passes. It was great catching them. And then the key was he threw a screen pass to Najee Harris from Alabama, the star running back mm-hmm. from Alabama, who's their first-round draft pick. And when Najee caught the ball, it was electrifying. I mean, it was Lavian Bell-like. I mean, I, I am so high on the Steelers on this. I just he, just he went for like 50 yards and was missing tackles and just the perfect thing. Like, I, Najee Harris is going to be so great on this team. Ben is rejuvenated. You saw Juju Smith-Schuster catching balls. Uh, it's just this team. It, Claypool's playing. I, I just love this. I love the Steelers. I, and the Steelers, their offensive line has been all reshuffled. People are saying, you know, sometimes you, you make changes and it works and it's going to be improved. Mm-hmm. I love the Steelers. I think eight and a half. I'm going over the Patriots. I'm going over with the Steelers. And then we see Browns at ten and a half. I don't know about the Browns. Yeah, at I, I'm always skeptical on the Browns. I, I just don't. I don't buy into it. And they had a good season last year, but they weren't great. And Baker Mayfield does enough to not lose, but he's not really winning games. The Ravens are still picked to win the division, but I don't think the Browns should be that close. But I still like, I'll tell you this, I was trying to see who would make the play. I think the Steelers, Ravens, and Browns could all make the, I think they will all make the playoffs. I think that, I think Steelers win the division and the Ravens and Browns, then I think the Browns will have the last And, and there's card. not that much competition for the wild card spots. The, well, basically, all of the AFC South is, is pretty mediocre. The Titans will win, um, but you, nobody else is coming out from, from there. In the AFC, I mean, I could see the Finns sliding in, but I'm not so sure. So, yeah, I'm not going to be surprised if they all three make it. The AFC West is a little intriguing, and they got the Chargers at 9.5. I don't know. I mean, yes, last year, uh, Anthony Lynn cost them, what, four games on the last possession of the of the game. So that 
maybe is what Vegas is thinking is going to completely shift them, but I don't know. And I even think 12 and a half on the Chiefs is high. I would do too. I think the Chiefs, though, they're fired up from losing the Super Bowl. I think that this is going to, I go 12 and a half. I go the over on them. The one I, in this division, the Broncos at eight and a half. Where's that coming yeah, from? Yeah, I don't know. I don't, I, um, they, I know their defense is great. Maybe and, they think Green Bay's trading Rodgers. I just, I mean, did, is that the wrong stat? Like, I looked at eight and a half and I checked somewhere else and it's eight and a half. So if I'm wrong, callers, you know, call on the station and say I got the wrong line. But it seemed like it was eight and a half. And I just, I can't understand that. I mean, the Raiders are at seven. So, but I, I, I think the I would go Broncos under eight and a half. I go Chargers under nine and a half. And uh, I Steelers over eight and a half and pa- Patriots over nine and a half. Let's move to the NFC. Looking around uh, the NFC East, this is probably going to be the worst division in the NFC. Uh, Cowboys are, are have every reason to win, but I have a feeling something. They, their defense is terrible. Dak Prescott was on pace to throw for sixty seven hundred yards last year before he got hurt. So the team can can throw the ball. They're going to have to throw the ball. Washington is a real defense, though. So I I don't know who I would pick to come out of this. I just wouldn't take the Eagles or the Giants. Clearly, I think the Giants, they have Giants at seven. I'm under. I don't think the Giants are good. Like, I think they're awful. I don't think Daniel Jones is a great quarterback. I think Barkley's not going to come back from his injuries. I think I go under with that. I even go under with the Eagles at six and a half. I'm, I'm not sold on the Eagles or the Giants. Cowboys, Redskins, I like the Redskins to win the division. It's going to be like last year. I think the Redskins win like the last game of the year. Cowboys get, I'm not sold that Prescott's going to stay healthy. He just saw him. I mean, he's been healthy for his whole career, but now his shoulder hurts, then his foot. He was injured with his foot. With his, with his, so I, I think they're with his Achilles. I I think the Redskins, I think, I think I like, I'm a big Ryan Fitzpatrick fan. And I think that Heineke is a backup quarterback who can come in and play. And their defense with Chase Young is amazing. I mean, we saw their defense last year. Their defense just won football games. So I like the Redskins to win the East. So going to the North, you know, last year, my lock for everyone was bet the Jets under because the Jets were at, I think, six and a half. And it's like when they make these odds, they just have to give them some number. You can't just say two because everyone's going to take over on it, even though they're probably going to win two games. You said the Lions could win zero. I'm with you on that. This could be a one-two win team. They're at four and a half. That's easy money. They look terrible. I mean, their coach uh, Campbell's looks totally was the wrong hire. Their team does not have talent, and Jared Goff is a quarterback, and it is a mess. And I think that they're really. I think you saw last year at whatever wins they had, you're going to see Matthew Stafford probably. He counted for like two or three wins all year. Yeah. So I really no. I I think the Lions are going to have a terrible year. I, I'm. I, th- I said the Bears at seven and a half. I think the Bears will do better. I, their defense is just too good. That and offensive I, line scares me. They look. Both of those quarterbacks were under duress this weekend. <laughs> and then I and then the Packers at ten. I I, I like the over I, on that. Oh yeah. I mean the pa- I mean what, what, again. I, am I, I they win I, twelve a year without a seventeenth. Right. Right. So they're going to win. They have Aaron Rodgers is going to be. You think like that's like you're betting Aaron. I couldn't believe it. Did you see ten too? Like I can't believe yeah. that number. Like it's ten I think, or ten and a half. That's ridiculous. Yeah. To me, that's that's a, that's the they win eleven games automatically. I I mean I'm not you know I don't like Aaron. I'm not an Aaron Rodgers playoff fan, but Aaron Rodgers regular season. I'm the biggest fan in the world. I mean, well, <laughs> and it's also it's like the the you know New England Patriots thing of five years ago where they were guaranteed five and one in the division versus the bad Bills, bad you know. They have the same thing in the NFC North. There's a lot of bad teams in there that it's easy for them to get five or six wins. I just don't know how the Packers don't go like thirteen and four. That's what and I would five say. at the worst. It's just crazy. It's like found money. I think. I mean, again, I'm gonna. There's one bet. I guess what I'm just gonna play. Say the bet at the end of the show. But I saw one of these over unders for NBA team, and I'm just sold on this over under. I think like <laughs> if you're gonna go to Vegas, 
Don't go to the tables. Don't go gamble, whatever. Just make this bet and then go to bed. Go to sleep. <laughs> You're going to win. Like, just go to sleep and then win. And that's what, do the sports bet for a future bet. Don't don't waste it on craps or blackjack or whatever. Just go go to watch TV, go to bed, go to the pool, do something. But this is, to me, it's a lock of all locks. And you'll I like was it. lock of the century. You'll I'm, like I'm betting it. it. I'm betting you're gonna, you're gonna like love this, this lock. You're gonna you're gonna absolutely love this lock. The Knicks. <laughs> um, okay, going to the South. This is Tampa's division to lose, and uh, you know the Falcons and Saints are both rebuilding, which you don't say every day. So Tampa should just walk away with this. I think the Saints. They have said this is one of those. Remember when uh, Sean Payton was suspended for a year, and yeah. the Saints were terrible. I just feel like I mean I like Jameis Winston and you know Easton Hill, and but you have a problem with Michael Thomas and that all the defenses, the issues they have. The Saints at nine, I don't think the Saints are good this year. Like, I don't think they're going to be good. I agree with you. The Falcons at seven and a half wins, uh, maybe around there. But also the Panthers. Is, I Like, this is Tampa's division, but I think the Saints are going to be way under. Like, I think this is – Tampa's going to run with this division and be way far ahead. I, I would take under on the Falcons, too, at seven and a half. Right. I, I, I don't – that team hasn't had a defense. They went to the Super Bowl with no defense, so it doesn't really prove my point. But they're not just – they're just not the team that they were. Uh, in the West, this division excites me, Ira. I think, look. If you look at the over-under lines, Seahawks are 10, Rams 10 and a half, 49ers 10 and a half, and Cardinals 8 and a half. I think the Rams, 49ers, and Cardinals are all going to win. Like, I think the Seahawks win the division, and the other three teams are the three wild cards. Like, I think every one of those four teams makes the playoffs. I'm a little bit skeptical on the Cardinals. I think that the Rams with Stafford are going to be electric. I'm not even a huge Matt Stafford fan, but, like, fantasy purposes, I think that Sean McVay is going to— maximize Matthew Stafford. So I'm I'm high on, on the Rams. And like I said, Stafford, some guy I'm targeting late uh, in my fantasy leagues. It's Iron Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Let's catch up with Jeff Scott of USF. This is Ira on Sports, 95.9, 106.9, West Palm Beach. We're honored to talk to Jeff Scott, the head coach at University of South Florida Bulls. And uh, Coach Scott, thanks for coming on Iron Sports today. Absolutely. Glad to be with you. So Coach Scott, I grew up in Pittsburgh and they, in the 70s, and I was there when the city of champions. So it was, and everyone thinks about the Steelers and the Pirates in 1979, and that was you know, the city. But don't forget, Pitt football was considered some of the best football teams ever. Bobby Bowden said the Pitt football team was the best team he's ever seen, 11-1, 11-1, 11 Do you think the success – about the Buccaneers and the Lightning and even the Rays probably going to win the World Series this year can translate over. I mean, does your, does your team feel that in terms of the champion aspect of the town? Uh, absolutely. I think just the um, the success that the Bucks have had, you know, and really kind of seeing where the Bucks were maybe uh, two or three years ago, right? And it, it just took a, a couple key pieces and, uh, and the coaches and, and bringing a a uh, you know winning culture and obviously Tom Brady uh, coming in had a, a big impact as well. But uh, there's no doubt our guys feel that. I think uh, you know Tampa is a, a thriving place, and I think for us even in recruiting, uh, it's something for us to to sell. And I think it's gotten the recruits' attention. And um, you know this is a, a place that loves their sports, loves their teams, and you know we hope that uh, that'll rub off on us and and we can join the uh, Champa Bay. Uh, lineup with, with all our other great teams. Yeah, and, and talk about it, in terms of recruiting. I mean, you 
you almost were you, you're your best, I guess, salesperson because you were at Clemson, considered uh, you know the, working with Dabo Swinney, building the program up to be the super program that it is, and being part of that. But you had your choice of so many different programs to go to, and you chose to go to South Florida. So again, when you're recruiting a player, saying what you know where they're going to go, you're like, look, I had a choice to go to different programs. I chose South Florida, and I think that you know that probably helps you in recruiting. Uh, absolutely, I think for me. Uh, one of the big reasons that I, I chose to come down here to, to Tampa and to University of South Florida is because uh, there's so much more in front of us, right? And, and sometimes some other programs have kind of been there, done that, and they're just kind of on autopilot. And I wanted to go somewhere that had a, a really uh, long runway and, and a lot of, um, you know, big things ahead. And so, you know, this is our 25th year of the program uh, here at South Florida, and there's been a lot of good things that have happened over those 25 years. Um, but I really believe these next two to five years are going to have a huge impact on the next 25 years. And so that's kind of what my message to our current team and to our recruits is, hey, we're, we're still riding history right here. You know, we, we play Florida in our second game of the season coming up, and, you know, they've had a program for over 100 years. So we're still a relatively young program. And, you know, our, our players and, and coaches uh, definitely understand that uh, we have a great you know, opportunity, but also a great responsibility uh, to continue building this program uh, into what it can be one day. And you and your Clemson, you were the wide receiver coach. We had Ron Dugans of uh, Florida State on last week, and they certainly have his, his, you know, his share of great receivers. You've had Hopkins and Watkins and Higgins and Ross at Clemson that you've got to work with. And it must be exciting to start to recruit a lot of wide receivers in terms of with your background. I can't believe a, a coach has worked with as many great wide receivers as you have in terms of you know, having a high-flying offense and, and everything we're looking for in terms of USF. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think uh, all over college football, you know, you've seen a lot more of the explosive offenses. It's an offensive game right now. And then also with our league, the American Conference, you know, you, you better be scoring a bunch of points each and every week. So I think that was kind of part of Michael Kelly and the uh, leadership here at South Florida. You know, part of their uh, thought process was to, to go bring someone in that could uh, bring an explosive offense and be able to, to score a bunch of points and, and have some of those explosive plays in the passing game. And, you know, I have been very fortunate to coach some, some special players, and, uh, and I really am – uh, excited uh, about some of the wide receivers that we have on our roster now that I think are going to have an opportunity uh, to have a big year this year coming up. And last year was a, was a tough year, one and eight, uh, but you had two games that were postponed. You lost Temple by two, Memphis by one. But at the end of the year, you put 46 points up against UCF. And, and I think with a lot of these teams, I mean, I you know, follow Penn State a lot too. I mean, it seems like last year, the starting, the stopping, the COVID, the no fans, I think looking at last year and saying, oh, that's what's going to happen this year, I think that would be a mistake. I mean, certainly that was – last year was just total anomaly in terms of how college football is being played. Well, absolutely. You know, it, last year obviously was a challenge for everybody. And I think the uh, first-year coaches like myself and, you know, Mike Norvell, Florida State, guys that were really just kind of coming into their program uh, there in January of 2020, you know, it was even more of a challenge because I really believe that those – you know, first eight months that you take over a program, that kind of January through August is really one of the most critical uh, windows in uh, kind of establishing your culture, the standards, how we're going to do things, and installing a new offense, defense, special teams. And uh, obviously with us not getting to spring practice, you know, it was really kind of the, the first time we were able to get on the field with our guys was right there 
you know, in, in fall camp. And even fall camp, we were uh, interrupted and, and guys were out and all those type of things. So it was one of those things that was definitely very challenging. Uh, but it also, um, you know, caused uh, some really good things to happen and some, some leaders to, to kind of step up. And anytime you're going through adversity, you'll learn a lot about the people that you're around. So it wasn't a lot of fun, but I definitely feel like we're, we're better for going through it. And uh, so far uh, this year uh, has been uh, completely different in a lot of those aspects with us getting a complete uh, spring practice and now getting a, a normal fall camp. Uh, I definitely I feel like we're much further ahead from where we were last year, and, and hopefully we'll continue to move forward. Yeah, I saw the the ratings, the poll, of the AAC immediate members. They they put you, they picked you last. I'm sure you're using that in the conference. I'm sure you're using that as motivation to your team. It's like, you know, you guys want to be picked last. I mean, that's something to really show with all the talent that you you brought into USF. Yeah, I think you know the big message for us, and you know what I what I learned at Clemson. You know, there was a time at Clemson, uh, it's hard to imagine now uh, where they are, but there was a time, you know, way back uh, whenever Coach Sweeney first got there and we were just kind of getting getting going under Coach Sweeney where, you know, people didn't think that Clemson could win uh, the big games or couldn't could Clemson compete with SEC and all these type of things. And ultimately uh, what Coach Sweeney and our staff did is we just really put all the focus internally and just, you know, said, hey, we need to practice to our standard. We need to play to our standard. And uh, that's kind of been my message to our guys here is there's a lot of stuff on the outside, but ultimately, you know, we are what we put on film. And, you know, you guys uh, have an opportunity, you know, each and every week that you go out to, to uh, you know, put another put a new resume out there. And so I think for us it's about improving or really kind of seeking progress each and every day in, in what we're doing. And uh, I've definitely seen that. But, you know, I think that, um, you know, you, you definitely, you know, I've shown those guys some of those things. And, you know, there's a little bit of motivation with that. But really, that's, you know, that's a very uh, short, doesn't last very long. Uh, ultimately, you have to have a standard uh, for the guys to meet each and every day to, to truly make a change to get to where you want to be. And that's what we're doing. We're talking to Jeff Scott, University of South Florida football coach. Um, one thing is a better conference. I mean, people talk about the Big 12 and what's happening. But Cincinnati, UCF, Memphis, Houston, I mean, arguably, probably one of the, maybe the third best conference in the country uh, with, in terms of the teams. I mean, Cincinnati's picked in the, in the you know, top six or seven in the country. So it's like one of these things, and you play with an out-of-state conference of, of schedule of NC State, Florida, and BYU, plus your AAF, really tough schedule. Yeah, absolutely, it is. And, uh, you know, I've, I've been using a quote by uh, Monty Williams uh, from Phoenix Suns was using in the playoffs. He said, hey, where we want to go is on the other side of hard. And uh, that's kind of what my message for our team is, hey, it's, it's not going to be easy. Uh, you know, we got we got uh, one of the, you know, maybe uh, number two ranked the most difficult schedules in the country, you know, coming out uh, for our conference and, and where we are. And, you know, but at the end of the day, for us to truly – uh, make progress and get to where we want to go. You know, we can't be afraid of who we're playing or try to dodge teams. You know, you've got to truly embrace it and, and attack it and, and do it together. And uh, so uh, I'm looking forward to it. We've got some great uh, opportunities uh, that are uh, obviously some, some big challenges, uh, but I think we'll definitely learn a lot about our team uh, during the, the non-conference schedule, and, and hopefully uh, we'll be able to take some of the things that uh, we learned and some of the things that we did, uh, successes and those type of things from the non-conference uh, into our conference play uh, whenever we open up at SMU.
And uh, well, I went. I saw on your website. I haven't been, got a chance to see it, but the Leroy Selman Athletic Center. You just have a new locker rooms, which are amazing from the videos and everything of it. But just the facility upgrade that, that even in the past year that you've done and what you have planned, I'm mean, really just uh, putting South Florida into another and next, the next level in terms of uh, when people are looking. You know, one of the best facilities in the country. Uh, absolutely, we're really excited about it. And really, if you go back to 25 years ago, whenever they started the program here in South Florida, uh, the coaches' offices and coaches' and players' meeting rooms were actually in trailers uh, that, the, <laughs> that the New York Yankees left after spring uh, baseball season. And uh, so, and then in 2004, uh, South Florida moved into the Leroy Selman Athletic Center. And, uh, and, and now, uh, I think the leadership here at the university and our athletic director, Michael Kelly, and you know, a lot of the, the booster club, they, they've been. Uh, putting some plans together to uh, improve our facilities. And, and we did a $3 million, um, you know, remodel locker room and team room and, and really some things that could impact us right now. And and uh, we're very optimistic that we're going to break ground on a $20, $20 million uh, indoor facility uh, later this fall. And that's going to be uh, incredible. And I think it's really going to send a, a strong message uh, to everyone here in, in Tampa and in the state of Florida you know, that we're moving forward and, and uh, we have a lot of progress uh, to, to go and, and we're definitely committed to doing that. Well, I know you have a lot of fans out here in West Palm Beach and on the other side, other coast. I mean, there's, it's an easy drive. I, mean, I, was, I went to a bunch of Buck game, Bucks games this year. I was like three hour drive from West Palm. So I do know that you have a lot of support here in, in West Palm Beach and Boca and Delray, that area, and, and certainly recruiting uh, from that. So it'll be, it's great. I mean, I think the fact that the Florida programs are all you know, getting, you know, all improving with new coaches and everything, I think that helps, you know, every team really in Florida. Absolutely. We live in a, a great state, and there's been a lot of uh, tradition uh, in this state with the sports teams and, and college football. And and uh, I love the location of where we are uh, right here in Tampa Bay. You know, I mean, you can get to South Florida in three hours, and you can get up to, to Jacksonville, Tallahassee area in three hours. And so we're really centrally located that I think helps us uh, from a recruiting standpoint uh, with the um, being able to get recruits and their families here uh, very easily. And then also uh, with the fans. So we're definitely uh, excited about the things to come here in the next few years. Coach, uh, uh, Coach Scott, thanks again for, I know that you're super busy, but thanks again for coming on I Run Sports. I really appreciate it. And I'm sure my listeners will be excited to follow South Florida this year. All right. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. Great stuff there from Jeff Scott. And we'll be, you know, I love when we get involved with, play, you know, new people on the show because now we have like a vested interest in USF this year. I wanted to, you know, I'm hoping for them to do good. Uh, so, you know, congratulations to uh, to Coach Jeff Scott and what he's putting together there. Let's talk football, Ira, uh, college football, because normally you got to wait a little while to get into some good games, but not this year. They're coming out punching with some big games right at the beginning. Right. I mean, it's it is very exciting. I mean, first of all, the week zero, we have Nebraska, Illinois, um, a big game for Brett Belmont, who's now the, the coach of Illinois. Mm-hmm. Remember, the longtime Wisconsin coach who now took over the Illinois program and Scott Frost and Nebraska, a very important game. That's like the quote week zero games. And then you have the Alabama Miami games. I mean, Penn State, Wisconsin. It's just crazy in terms of how many good games will be that first week. So what are you looking uh, at here when you check out the conferences? Well, I mean, the American Conference, this Cincinnati is this is the year. Desmond Ritter, if you want to see a quarterback who just does everything, uh, it's just amazing quarterback. They, he's been 30-5 and five as a starter. They play at Indiana at Notre Dame. Cincinnati wins those two games, goes undefeated. They're going to play. They're going to be in the top four. That's how good. They're so. already yeah. starting at eight. 
And if they beat Cincinnati, if they beat Indiana, beat Notre Dame, I think they're they're there. Notre Dame's a good team this year. Ky- Kylie Hamilton at linebacker, Kyron Williams running back, Michael Mayer tight end. Uh, we're just going to see them against Florida State in two weeks in that game. So that's going to be a major game. But I, I like to see. I think Notre Dame's going to have a good team this year. That's why that Notre Dame Cincinnati game is going to be amazing. Uh, Atlanta Coast Conference. You know, we're just going alphabetical order here with conferences. But Clemson again. I think people, they get sold on their offense so much at Clemson. But their defensive line, they have, remember a couple years ago when they had all those guys drafted in the first Dexter round? Lawrence, yeah. Uh, it, it's again, they have Brian Brees, defensive tackle, Miles Murphy, Tyler Davis, Xavier Thomas, all in the defensive line, all could be first-round draft picks. They could have another four on the mm-hmm. first-round draft picks. Then you bring DJ Alagawai as the quarterback, Justin Ross back at wide receiver, I just, you can't, Clemson is as good. Now, they don't have Trevor Lawrence, but they have a lot of talented players. They're sort of at that Alabama level where they have a lot of good players yeah, are. that are coming in. And uh, I, you know, I'm excited for Miami, but opening up against Alabama, not not very fun. No, but you get to see De'Ara King. We're going to see the second year of De'Ara King, how he plays, how he comes back from that injury. Uh, and then UNC with Sam Howitt, their quarterback, everyone, you know, potential Heisman Trophy. So, I mean, look, you're interested in UNC and in Miami. Of course, we have Florida State and Clemson in terms of the ACC. So it's funny. I heard local Miami guys talking about De'Ara King as, as a dark horse for the Heisman Trophy. I don't know if I'm getting that far ahead, but it, it, it's wishful thinking. What about the Big 12? Well, I think, look, I was listening to radio all this weekend. Everyone loves Oklahoma to win the national championship. So that Spencer Rattler could be the number one pick in the draft. Um, they have uh, Kennedy Brooks, Kennedy Brooks at the running back. They have a great defense. Uh, the schedule, you know, playing in the Big 12, considered not as difficult in terms of the schedule. Uh, but I think that's what I think Oklahoma is, is slated to be there. But Iowa State is really good, and Iowa State could beat Oklahoma. They're the seventh-ranked team in the country. Uh, Brees Hall at running back could win the Heisman Trophy. Their quarterback, Bryce Purdy, is back. Uh, I really like Iowa State. And then you have Texas, which you can't overlook Texas. And also the whole idea of we're going to show the Big 12 before we move yeah. to the SEC what happens. Um, their running back, B.J. Robinson, had 500 yards the last four games. Uh, the big game for Texas, September 4th, they play Louisiana Lafayette. Now, you might remember that name because it seems like Louisiana Lafayette always plays like LSU tough for some of these mm-hmm. potential upsets. They have their quarterback as Levi Lewis. And I'm telling you, it's going to be a big game, Louisiana-Texas at Texas on September 4th. Some of these early games. And they're, they, Louisiana Lafayette is ranked, uh, I guess it's uh, ranked top, you know, top 25 in the country. Which is, yeah, we never really see them up there. What about the Big Ten? Well, again, it's Chris uh, Stroud is the freshman who they anointed the starter. Uh, he's going to be like 17 years old in terms of the starter coming in. It, it could be the next great Ohio State quarterback. But you have Alave and Wilson, two wide receivers that are going to go and maybe the top 10 or 15 in the draft. So they have great wide receivers. Uh, I just don't, you know, in terms of what's going to happen, this is on the east side. You know, Penn State, I'm just... At 19, I'm nervous about this team. They didn't play well last year. They lost a lot of players. I'm not sold on their quarterback, Sean Clifford. As you know, I'm the biggest Homer Penn State person, but I am just nervous about You're this You're a realistic year. Homer, though. I'm realistic. They play <laughs> Auburn. If look at the schedule. They're playing Wisconsin. They're playing Auburn. They have Ohio State. They have to then play Maryland. They're, that whole, the east side of Maryland, Michigan, Michigan State, Rutgers, I'm just scared about the whole thing. Like, this 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 season could go off the rails for someone like anybody in that. And, and Indiana with Michael Penix Jr., saw him last year. He's back from an injury. 
injury uh, and their wide receiver, Ty Frygrogel, uh, Indiana is going to be. I mean, to mention the team, Indiana is being good, but no, Indiana is really, really good. So you saw what they did with Ohio State last year. So it was a tough game. But then the West, Wisconsin is going to be. That's, that's a Wisconsin-Penn State game and Iowa. But then you have teams like Minnesota and Northwestern. You don't know where Nebraska is going to be. Purdue was bad last year but could be come back. Big Ten's really top to bottom. With the fact that Rutgers with Shiano now and Maryland's stepped up again, I, the, from top to bottom, the Big Ten could be the best conference. I know that not the SEC because SEC is super top, high on the top. But from top to bottom, the Big Ten might be the best conference. Yeah, there's a lot of teams at the bottom of the SEC that can't hold a candle Vanderbilt, to some of these. Like yeah, Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt, right. Ole Miss, you know what I mean? They're just not on the same level. What about the Pac-12? Um, I, Oregon and Washington in terms of the, uh, in the north. And this guy, Caton. Theobo is the defensive end for Oregon. If you watch Oregon, watch him because he'll possibly be the number one player taken in the NFL draft. So he's, he's just amazing defensive end. Uh, in the South, I mean, I'm excited to see USC. I mean, I'm out in L.A. a lot. I love going to those games. Keaton Slavis is a Heisman Trophy candidate for USC. Their wide receiver is this guy, Drake London. What a great name for a wide receiver. But, again, it's, it's like one of those. <laughs> Drake London. It's, it's a great name. But uh, Utah, Arizona State, UCLA, just exciting in terms of I, I love watching the Pac-12 and I think some of the games, but, I, but the teams are Oregon, Washington, and USC. And what about going to the SEC? Because, like we said, it's very top-heavy. Well, Georgia, everyone was waiting for JT Daniels. Now, he should have been the quarterback. Slovis beat JT Daniels out from USC. You see these quarterbacks that get beat out, they transfer, they go to another school all the time in terms of what happens. And he's now the quarterback of Georgia, and they have George Pickens, the wide receiver, Zamir White running back. Whether Georgia, I mean, JT Daniels looked inconsistent in some games, but looked amazing in others last year. If JT Daniels has this great year, then he wins the Heisman Trophy. Georgia could win the national championship, everything like that. But Florida, that really high. Dan Mullen is so high on Emory Jones, a quarterback. He really you lose after Trask graduated. You're like they're going to have this drop off, and Kyle Pitts got. But they, but Mullen's Dan Mullen really likes their offense and likes Emory Jones. Uh, and then you have like Kentucky. I mean, all these teams in the SEC, the Kentucky with Will Levis, the backup of Penn State is now the quarterback of Kentucky, Missouri, South Carolina, Tennessee, a crucial, you know, a year with a new, with a new coach coming in. Uh, just going to be exciting in the West. Alabama, Bryce Young is the quarterback. Everyone has signed a million dollars in name, image, likeness. John Michi is another wide receiver. Their team is so loaded. I, I think that's what's scary about Alabama is that they lost so many players, but now you look at them and they're just as good. They, these, it's these, every guys don't mind sitting for three years. That would be four year starters at other programs. They just sit and get the knowledge from Nick Saban, knowing they're probably going in the first round. It, it's a, there's never a restock for that team. They won the national championship last year, and their defense could be markably better this it's year. It's crazy than last year. That's what's crazy. <laughs> I'm not so. Everyone likes Texas A&M. Um, they have them ranked number six in the country. I, they lost their quarterback Helen Mon, Isaiah Spiller. The running back, they have a better defense. Not sold on that. Um, LSU's defense should be really good this year. That last year was a disaster. They have Derek Stingley and Eli Ricks at cornerbacks. Um, but teams like Auburn, who had a down, you know, off year, they could be back. And then you have Mississippi, Mississippi State. What could happen with those schools? With Matt Carroll, the quarterback for Lane Kiffin and Mississippi, some people could say Heisman Trophy or could be benched. <laughs> who knows? But I mean, it's one of those. I, I'm just so pumped for this year. I think it's going to be great. I think college football. I, I'm just, it's just, I love college football. And I, even though the teams like Alabama and Clemson are great, I just think there's other good teams that every week is a big game. There's not just a big game, but many big games every week. No, and that's what gets me excited, seeing teams that you didn't anticipate being good showing up and then maybe giving some of these guys a run, especially as we I mean, get ready to expand the playoff. So I wanted to bring this up to you because I'm, 
I didn't think about this once the uh, Texas and Oklahoma news broke. Do you think that the SEC is just going to try to run away with this sport in a sense of let's get USC in here, let's get Ohio State into the SEC, let's recruit Florida State and just become this mega conference of like the 30 best teams and kind of push everyone else out? Well, you saw the news, the alliance, like the whenever you talk about the alliance, you think like Star Wars or something like that. (laughs) I don't know. The alliance in terms of the ACC and the Big Ten and the Pac-10, the Pac-12 made this alliance. But alliance meant nothing to me. I mean, it's like, so what? Like, they're not going to, they're all new commissioners and there's interesting. But unless you're in the conference, what's going to, what does it matter? And I guess, I think your point is correct is, can the SEC be the type of conference that just says, look, you're going to win the SEC. We don't care. Like, it used to be these teams didn't play other teams. Yeah. Like, just, you won your conference, you won your conference, and that's it. You go home, that's it. There, there didn't used to be bowl games. I yeah. mean, it's just, that's how it was. And, uh, so I think that look, there is a there's a chance where it's exciting to see Oklahoma and Texas get there and see what happens. But um, again, so much talk this week about this alliance that I felt like didn't really wasn't news at all. Let's move on to uh, tennis, Ira. Um, well, <laughs> in terms of tennis, the Cincinnati Masters was this past week, and Andre Rublev beat Medvedev in the semifinals, and then Sasha Zverev, who won the gold medal in the Olympics, beat Titsipas in a great match, 7-6 in the third. And then Sasha won, destroyed Rublev in the finals. So you're looking at going to the U.S. Open. Sasha Zverev has been, for the past four years, one of the top five players in the world, but never won a major now that we have the U.S. Open with Djokovic out. And Djokovic's in, but injured. And you have Nadal out and Federer out and the one person who won it last year theme. I mean, the only two players that have even won the U.S. Open that are playing are Djokovic and Andy Murray, who is not really the Andy Murray that he was once was. And so this is a chance for, I guess, these players. I mean, it's a chance for you have Djokovic, you have Medved, Zarev, Tsitsipas, Rublev, and then Berrettini, who we saw play well in, uh, in Wimbledon and made the finals. Shapovalov's from Canada and Hubert Hercross, who we had on our show. Potential's all for the U.S. Open. That's in two weeks. I'll be going to that. But I think the way Zarev's playing, it's like people have been waiting for this type of game. I mean, he's, he's a German uh, a player who who really was just with the king of winning tournaments that nobody else was in good in. And now he is. But the question is, can he win these five-set matches? And he and he lost a theme last year in the fifth set. He was up two sets to none, cruising along, and lost the U.S. Open. He's never won a major. You can't be 24, 25 years old and be considered so good and not win a major. Um, and then in the women's, Osaka beat Goff in three sets. And the only reason Goff lost was she just double-folded. I mean, if you play tennis too much, mm-hmm. you see her double-folded. And then she, Osaka ended up losing to Jill Teichman in Canada. The next match, Ash Barty won. And Ash Barty is a, the number one. She's the number one player in the world, and she'll be the number one seed in the U.S. Open. With uh, Actually, Osaka is the favorite, though, to win the U.S. Open, which I think is the worst bet. Like, I think the best bet is to bet against Osaka every match. Because I just <laughs> don't think... Field. I think Osaka is not into this. Like, I think I she's... I think... I think the way to play her, and I felt bad. Coco Golf, I just said, get your serve in because Osaka Don't has. Don't beat yourself. Exactly. Osaka has every skill level. She can make every shot, but she doesn't want to run off the point. She doesn't want to work hard on the point. She goes for the winners. Like if anybody who knows when they play table tennis or they play regular tennis, there's always that guy that wants to just hit the winning shots every time. And Osaka goes for them, and she's talented enough to make them. But if you just can get to the balls and you just don't make mistakes, you can stay in these points. I thought Coco, by giving the double faults, was the one who cost herself that. But I, I'm not sold that Osaka is going to play. She's To me, she's not sharp enough to uh, to win the U.S. Open. So I didn't happen to be able to catch the Manny Pacquiao fight over the weekend, but you saw it and you loved it. What a fight. I mean, <laughs> first of all, I've seen so many of Manny Packers fights. It might be like 20 right now. Um, and I was watching the fight. He's 42 years old. And I was like watching and I compared to the Mayweather fight that we saw a couple of months ago. And Mayweather is, 
I don't know if Mayweather could beat you. Like, I mean, he's just done. Like, he's totally shot. I don't know if shot. that's a slight on me or him. It could be, but he's just, he's out. I mean, he's just not a fighter. Pacquiao, he, it was weird. He was supposed to fight Errol Spence, who's one of the top welterweights in the world. Well, her, Errol Spence and Terrence um, Crawford. Spence pulls out with an injury 11 days ago. They bring in Yordanus Yurgis, who's from Cuba, who won the bronze medal in 2008. Yurgis is totally different than Spence. He's tall. He's skinnier. He's just a bigger fighter. He's like bigger. And and I think Pacquiao, I don't know. He tried. He, he didn't move. His hand speed was fast. And I thought he won the early rounds. But by the end, he lost the last like two or three rounds. He ended up losing 8-4 in the cards. I don't think it was a terrible loss. I mean, I always thought Pacquiao had the chance to win the fight. I thought the fight was great. And everyone said, oh, Pacquiao should retire. It wasn't like he got smashed in this fight. He just lost the fight. He lost the boxing match. And it was like, but it didn't get hurt or anything. It wasn't knocked down. And it seemed to be just, it just seemed to be, it was just the point where he's trouble. It was trouble getting in because, because of Gorgas' size. But I really enjoyed watching the fight. I thought it was exciting. And I thought it was a chance. You always thought even in the 12th round, Pacquiao, I thought, could knock him out. So it was, that was exciting to watch. And then this coming up, Jake Paul is <laughs> fighting Tyrone Woodley. We know Paul because he beat Nate Robinson, Ben Askren. And I think this is, this. we're finally going to get the end of the Pauls. We're going to have, I, hope I, so. I think Tyrone Woodley, who has won the UFC welterweight title in 2016, he's 39 years old. But I think that he finally, I think this Jake Paul thing ends uh, in on the uh, 29th in Cleveland. Let's wrap it up with some racing. What a Matt. You know, so I came home on Sunday, last like 20 laps, and I see... Um, William Byron was leading in his part, uh, uh, the race at the Michigan Speedway. And the last 20 laps, there was very exciting because Ryan Blaney was like trying to hold up Byron, trying to hold up Larson. They were, it was like, they were trying, like Larson was pushing Byron because they're teammates on Hendricks and Byron was pushing Larson trying to get, and Blaney's like blocking them around three or four laps. He won by 0.077 seconds. That's Not much. <laughs> and uh, a huge win. And this is the first race before the playoffs. So now they have the top 16 drivers get in the playoffs. 13 drivers have won a race. So two places are, cl- are clinched with Hamlin and Harvick. And it's really between like Austin Dillon and Tyler Reddick, who are both on Richard Childers' team. It's in Daytona will be the final race. And then they start the playoffs where then they each week after 10 races, they eliminated a couple drivers. But this was, this was a good, exciting race. Ira, what are you doing this week? I don't know. Do I go to a Marlin game and see maybe a Marlin game? I'm not sure. I don't know if I, I just didn't even like, see who they're playing. I, they're they're playing. I, they play the Reds at the end of the week. Oh, that's not so a that would be a good game to go see. But either that or I mean, next week. I mean, I do have you have all the football games to go to the U.S. Open. Uh, it's just going to be super exciting. So maybe I just uh, rest up and go and get ready to go where I go to because I love going to the Open. So I'll go to like three or four days of the Open in the first week, and then I got a Penn State game. I got the Florida State Notre Dame game. And then it's just so much going. Yeah, I was going to say, you you figure out your college schedule yet? I've, 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 and then the question is, do you go to the Steelers Open with the Bills, the first uh, football game? But it could be the U.S. Open. If, and I'd rather go see Djokovic try to win 21st at the U.S. Open than Steelers-Bills for the first game. But if Djokovic isn't in the U.S. Open finals, I'll probably see Steelers-Bills. <laughs> we are out of time. Thank you so much to Jeff Scott of USF. What do you got, I? Um, we're going to have next week uh, the coach – of uh, Terry Bennett of Notre Dame. Now, I say from the years 54 to 58, I cannot believe he's still alive, but it was like, it's an amazing time. He had a win. Oklahoma was the greatest football team of all time, had won 47 games in a row, 47 in a row, the two-time defending national championships. He went, Notre, took the Notre Dame team down to Oklahoma and beat Oklahoma. He was only 25 years old when he was hired, 30 when he was fired. It was ridiculous, and he never coached again. That is Crazy. amazing. What a story and mm-hmm. the fact that he's still alive. And I can't wait to have him on short about that interview. And hopefully we'll have some other coaches like we had with Coach Scott this week on. I'm hoping so. We are out of time, though. Like I said, on behalf of Ira, I'm Mike. Let's talk next Monday night. It's Iron Sports.